Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. The seventh trumpet of God's judgment is called the third terror. What happens in it? And why is it so terrible? Well, let's talk about that coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles. I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. We are studying the seventh trumpet of God's judgment. And this is found in Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. Now, if you remember correctly, the eagle in Revelation chapter 8 caught it the third terror. So let's see what's going on and why it's so terrible. Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The whole world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry with you, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants. You will reward your prophets and your holy people, all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. And you will destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared. There was a great hailstorm, and the world was shaken by a mighty earthquake. Now, at first glance, the seventh trumpet doesn't seem all that bad, does it? I mean, they blow the trumpet, and there's a small ceremony, and then we see what begins to be the midpoint of the seven-year period of God's judgment called Jacob's distress. But if you remember back to the seventh seal, you'll see that this is very similar to what happened when the seventh seal was broken. They cracked open the seventh seal, and there's just 30 minutes of silence. And then there was a small ceremony that ushered in the seven trumpets of judgment. So it really was a very bad seal. Well, it's the same thing going on here, really, but even to a greater degree. The seventh trumpet is indeed the third terror. And the reason is not only is it going to mark the midpoint of the seven-year period of God's judgment and usher in what we'll later study as the bold judgments, but also it is proclaiming something that terrifies the world. You see, it is proclaiming that God is stepping up and taking control, assuming control of the world, and that his Christ, or uh, the word Christ, of course, is Greek for Messiah, so his Messiah is beginning to reign. And so that's what they're preparing for with this seventh trumpet. It's a proclamation saying, 
God is fixing to assume control of the world, and his Messiah, our Lord Jesus, will be the king of the world. Now, why does this terrify everybody so much? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, it terrifies Satan because this presently is Satan's world. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, we see one of the temptations. And it says this, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil told him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So here was the devil, Satan himself, trying to get Jesus to give up his purpose of going to the cross and dying for all of our sins and paying the price of our sins. He was trying to get him to stop that. He was trying to get him to forsake that duty. And he did it by tempting him with the whole world. See, he knows that Jesus has been prophesied to be the Messiah, the king of the whole world. So Satan was offering it to him ahead of time. He says, if you'll just worship me, I'll let you have this world. Because if Jesus, God himself, worshiped Satan, that would make Satan God. And it would overthrow the whole system. It would overthrow God. But see, the key I want to point out here is that Satan was acknowledging that this world is his and he can give it to anyone. Now, sometimes Christians don't realize that. Sometimes Christians think this is God's world. We even sing hymns like that, saying that this is God's world. But according to Scripture, Presently, this world is the enemy's. It's his domain. It's under his control. It was sometime in ancient past, Bible scholars think, given to him as uh, the angel before he decided to rebel against God. So this is his world. And for all of a sudden, for this trumpet to be blown and God to say, it is time. And my Messiah will rule this world. That throws terror into Satan's heart. And all the people that have sold out their lives to Satan, that throws terror in their hearts because they know everything they fought for is fixing to be taken away. That's one reason why this is such a terrible judgment. And it strikes terror into the hearts of so many people. The second reason it strikes terror in the hearts of people is found in the principle that sinners flee the light and always hide in their darkness. Let's read John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. You'll recognize this is a famous passage, especially uh, the verse John three sixteen. But let's read it and let's see what the Bible talks about this situation and how sinners flee the light and try and hide in their darkness. John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust him, but those who do not trust him have already been judged for not believing in the only son of God. Their judgment is based on this fact. The light from heaven came to the world, but they loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. They hate the light because they want to sin in the darkness. They stay away from the light for fear their sins will be exposed and they will be punished. But those who do what is right come to the light gladly so everyone can see that they are doing what God wants. So you see, when this trumpet is blown and God is heralding the fact that he is fixing to assume control of the world, it strikes terror in the hearts of every unbeliever because they have spent their entire lives running from the light, running from God and trying to keep hold of their sins and hide in their darkness. You see, I truly think that every person deep down inside of them knows that they are wicked. And deep down, they know that they need to turn to God for forgiveness. But so many people harden their heart because they would rather hold on to the temporary pleasures of this world. And they harden their heart until it gets to the point where they would rather hide in the darkness because they don't want anybody to know what's really lurking inside of them and the sins they do when no one's seeing. And so they try and keep it all quiet and they harden their hearts and they keep pursuing their evil lusts for power, for uh, hatred of other people, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust for riches, on and on and on it goes. They hold on to all these sins and they hide in the darkness because they hate the light. And they don't want their sins exposed because then, deep down, they know. Then they deserve judgment. It even says, they hate the light because they want to sin in the darkness. They stay away from the light for fear their sins will be exposed and they'll be punished. That's verse 20. So they are fearful of this judgment deep down inside, even though they may not admit it in front of the cameras when the Hollywood stars are talking to people and making fun of Christianity. And when the politicians are acting like Christians are uh, antiquated and should be controlled, they may act like they're perfect and that they have no sins, but deep down, they're fearful because they know they have sins and they're fearful of judgment. And this Fear of judgment, I think, is what motivates the entire unrighteous world, all the unbelievers in the world, to stand up in support of the Antichrist, the world leader that we'll study in a little bit, that rises up from the one world government. They will follow him because he will be declaring his rebellion against God. And that's what they want. This is the same fear that we saw with the sixth seal. Remember how we studied how the sixth seal is the rapture, and they see Christ in the clouds and all of us being gathered up to him. Well, when they see that, what do they do? They cried out, oh, rocks, fall on us, and mountains, crush us, fall on us and hide us. 
from the face of the Lamb and his judgment. See, they don't want Jesus to take over because they know they deserve judgment. And whether they could repent and, and get their sins forgiven, of course they could. God would allow that, but they refuse to because they've hardened their hearts too much, just like Pharaoh did back in Egypt when all the Jewish people, the Hebrews, were slaves to them, and Moses had to lead them out. So the world is Satan's. That's one reason this strikes terror. Plus, sinners flee the light and they hide from in the darkness because they want to hold on to their sins instead of repent. That's the second reason this trumpet strikes terror in the hearts of people. But the third reason I think it strikes so much terror is that unrighteous world hates Jesus and his followers. That's right. Unbelievers, the unrighteous world, hate Jesus and all his followers. The world hates you. The world hates me. If you follow Christ, if you put Christ first in your life as a believer, the world hates you. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. When the world hates you, remember it hated me before it hated you. The world would love you if you belonged to it, but you don't. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. So Jesus himself said the world hates us because we belong to him. We're his followers. They hated him, so they're going to hate us because we believe in him. And we can see that for the last 2,000 years. That's why Christians have always been persecuted by unrighteous governments. And any time a government starts restricting free speech and starts maligning the Bible and it treating it like fairy tales or maligning God and saying uh, the rules that God set down against things like abortion and homosexuality and things like that, no longer apply to the modern world and say that the Bible is old-fashioned and God's commands are old-fashioned. Whenever that happens, you can bet your bottom dollar that persecution's close to coming. And then when you see things happening like in our country presently, where they're censoring conservative people's views in the political arena and even kicking them off their uh, social media platforms, and then even preaching is being looked at now on YouTube and other places. And if we say things against the sins of homosexuality or transgender movement or all these vile sins, then they are saying they have a right to knock us off of our social, plat social media platforms. So this is beginning to happen. And it's because the world hates us. And whenever you start seeing the restrictions of Christians, Please understand, brothers and sisters, persecution, and by that I mean government-sponsored, widespread persecution, is just around the corner. So you need to be praying for strength to stand up against the world when this happens, because I'm telling you the world hates you. And for Christians to sit here and keep thinking that they can compromise with the world and be friends with the world, you're kidding yourself. The world has always hated you. It always will hate you because it has always hated Jesus and will always hate Jesus. The darkness hates the light. The darkness flees from the light. So as a Christian, make sure you are all in with Jesus. Make sure you are walking like a children of the light. 
a child of the light. Make sure you are living your life as one of a holy testimony, a righteous testimony for Christ. Go all in with him. Don't compromise with the world. Don't get muddled with their thinking. Stay true to the course of Christ. And that way you'll have strength to stand up when the persecution comes. And it will come one day. So let's talk now about the celebration of the 24 elders. Who are these people? Well, we first saw the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4. If you remember, this was up in the throne room, and this was part of the celebration of the Lamb standing up to take hold of the scroll and start opening up the seven seals to reclaim his bride. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, John recorded his scene of the 24 elders. He wrote, 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. So they were up there sitting next to God's throne, and they were part of the throne room of God and the celebration of when Jesus started opening up the seals. Now, who are these people? If you remember that study, we postulated that they are probably the 12 patriarchs of the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 apostles. And the reason I think that's a possibility is in Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus was talking to the disciples about his kingdom, and he said this, I assure you that when I, the Son of Man, sit upon my glorious throne in the kingdom, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the apostles will be part of God's governing system when Jesus takes over as king of the world. And if you look at how God is trying to combine the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, and the Gentile believers all into one people of God, like we studied last week when we looked at God's mysterious plan, then you, you can understand that other 12 beings are probably the 12 patriarchs of Israel. That way you have the nation of Israel represented and you have the church represented and it's all becoming one people, one people of God, which has always been his plan from the beginning. Now don't get upset about this word judging. It doesn't have anything to do with determining your salvation. If you remember in John 3 verse 18, we read that there is no judgment awaiting for those who trust him. So Jesus clearly says that there's no judgment for believers. You never have to stand up before God at the great white throne judgment that we'll read about several chapters later in the book of Revelation. You never have to face that because you're a believer. You don't have to face judgment. The only thing that you will participate in is what's known as the Bema seat of Christ. And I don't even really consider this a judgment, although some people call it the Bema Seat Judgment. I don't really call it a judgment because it's Christ following the tradition of all kings. When he takes over and he's sitting on his throne, he rewards everyone who helped that king take power. And that's what Jesus is going to do on the Bema Seat. We as believers will face him and he'll give us rewards in proportion to what we did in our service to him while alive on earth. 
So you do not have to ever face God with a doubt that you're not going to be a citizen of heaven. If you believe in Jesus, you never face that judgment, according to what Jesus himself said in John 3, verse 18. So how do the 24 elders get involved in this governing, and what kind of judgments do they make? We really don't know. And for me to speculate would just be useless, because the Bible doesn't say. All we can kind of surmise is that Jesus promised the 12 apostles that they would be there with him when he takes over and they would sit in thrones next to him. So I am assuming, based on that mysterious plan of uniting Israel, all the Jewish people, and all the Christians, even Gentiles, that the 12 patriarchs may be part of the 24 elders also. But we'll know one thing, when we get to heaven, we'll find out for sure, won't we? But let's look at the elders' song. The first thing they do, if you notice, is that they praise God for assuming control of the world. They said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. So the first thing they do is they praise him for taking over, for assuming control of this evil world and beginning to reign and letting his Messiah be king of the world. And then it goes on to say that they are praising him and, and state that God's wrath will fall on the nations who are angry with him. And they're happy about that. They praise him that he is fixing to have wrath on all the evil nations that were angry with God and his people. You see, it's a time of judgment, and they sing about that. They even say it's time for judgment to begin. In verse 18, in the last half of it, they say, it is time to judge the dead and reward your servants. So he will reward the people of God for what they've done, but also it says he will destroy, he will cause, actually it says, and you, referring to God, it says he will destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. So they're singing, not just thanking him for assuming control, but they're also singing praises that he's fixing to let his wrath fall on the nations that were angry with him and all his followers. And they're singing that it is time, it is way past time, it is due, it is necessary for judgment to begin with rewarding God's people, but also in destruction for those who are wicked and never believed in Jesus. Now let's talk about the trumpet's aftermath. What happens after the seventh trumpet is blown? First of all, you see that heaven's temple is opened up. Now this shouldn't surprise you. If you've studied Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it makes it really clear that the earthly temple that the Jews used and the Ark of the Covenant that they used and everything that was patterned that Moses set up was a shadow of the real one in heaven. In other words, Moses was instructed to make it exactly the way he was told because it was an exact duplicate of what the real one would look like up in heaven. So it is a shadow. The, the temple on earth was a shadow of the one up in heaven. And you also see that the Ark of the Covenant was revealed, which means the curtain had to be opened up so that people could see the Ark of the Covenant just like it was separated by a, cur a curtain down here 
on earth. It was up in heaven, but it's being opened up. This speaks to me about the prophetic feasts of the Lord that we studied. Remember Rosh Hashanah, the celebration of the new year, and we showed how that paralleled the seven seals, getting people ready for a time when they would be uh, taken, all the righteous people taken. And then during after the Feast of Trumpets, they were giving a little bit of time to those who were kind of uh, salvageable, but had not yet believed yet to get right and get repented. And, and, and I mean, to repent and to get right with God before uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So this, I think, is what's going on here. It is time for the Day of Atonement. Just like the seals was giving everybody a warning that the trumpets were fixing to blow, now, after the seventh trumpet, the temple is opening up. The Ark of the Covenant is there, ready for the Day of Atonement. And if you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, you have nothing to fear. But it's also a sign of judgment for those who don't believe and who have never trusted in the blood of the Messiah. Now, also, you saw that there was a, several natural disasters that happened after the trumpet was blown. It talked about a lightning and thunderstorm and a huge hailstorm, but also a worldwide earthquake. Now, this may sound familiar to the seven seals. When the seventh seal was broken, it also talked about an earthquake, but there's a, a big difference. Let's look at that. In Revelation chapter 8, it talks about the angel, after the 30 minutes of silence, after the seal was broken during the ceremony, the angel took the bowl of incense and all the prayers of the saints and threw it on the earth, remember? And it says, Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. It just says a terrible earthquake, and I'm sure it's devastating. But listen to what it says in Revelation 11, verse 19 what happens after the trumpets. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared. There was a great hailstorm, and the world was shaken by a mighty earthquake. You see, I think this one is speaking of a worldwide earthquake. Now you'll notice that there's so much similarities that some people have a theory of the book of Revelation that the seals and the trumpets and the bowls are all talking about the same thing, and it's just repeating itself. I used to look at that as a plausible explanation, but I don't think it is anymore, because if you match them up, there's several big differences between the seals and the trumpets and the bowl judgments. For instance, the sixth seal is the same signs that's written throughout the Bible as we study and that Jesus himself and Peter talked about also in the book of Acts about the rapture, what would happen with the signs when Jesus came for his bride. But the sixth trumpet is talking about this demonic mob that runs around rampaging on the earth and killing a third of mankind. So I don't think John's being repetitive when he talks about the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. I do think they are separate judgments. They may be similar, but there's enough differences where you can see that 
is three different sets of judgments. Now, why are there similarities? Well, because it shows a gradual transition between the judgments that come because of our own sins, like the seal. Like we said, Jesus quits restraining the results of our sins, the consequences of our sins. And so those are acting out in our lives, and that's what the seven seals are. But then the seven trumpets, they show some natural things in the beginning, and people write it off as climate, you know, uh, climate change. But then there's some very weird spiritual things going on, this infestation of uh, demons and this demonic horde that, like I said, kills a third of the world's population. And then the bold judgments are even more unique and different. So there is enough differences where I think it's safe to say that these are three separate judgments, even though there's some parallels. And the earthquake that's at the end of the seventh seal during that ceremony before the trumpets are blown, it is devastating, but it's not written the same way as this one. This says the whole world was shaken by an earthquake. I think this is a worldwide earthquake that occurs after the blowing of the seventh trumpet. So it is a devastating, terrifying judgment. It truly is the third terror. It tells all the unbelieving world that God is assuming control and their natural fear and wanting to hide in the darkness strikes fear in their very core. But also this worldwide earthquake would literally cripple every government and has to frighten anybody that's still living on the world because communications would break down, food supplies would break down. Imagine how a localized earthquake disrupts everything. Imagine what it would be like with a worldwide earthquake stopping civilization in its tracks, basically. So this is a very terrifying judgment. The seventh trumpet, the third terror, of God's judgment. Now, you know something? This is when unbelievers really start belittling Christians and our God. A lot of unbelievers cast scorn on any God that brings judgment. They say things like, I won't ever believe in a God that judges people because that's cruel. And they look down on Christians because we speak of one day God judging evil. But the unbelieving world doesn't like that because they like hiding in the darkness and they don't want their sins judged. And so they sneer at us, don't they? But you know something? I always thought a good argument about that is this. There's think, people think nothing about us cheering our football teams or our basketball teams or our baseball teams. They think nothing of us cheering our sports teams when they have a victory. So why can we not cheer when God has a victory? You see, that's what this is. That's why the 24 elders are praising his name. God's victory is fixing to happen. It's prophesied, and we know it will happen like he said. And this prophecy says at this point, at the seventh trumpet, God says enough is enough. I'm assuming control, and he starts making preparations to judge the world, to pour his wrath out on it in the bold judgments and set up the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of the Messiah. So that is something worthy for us to praise. 
Don't think bad about thanking God and praising God for his victory. Yes, judgment is real. So reach out to all your friends and family members who are unbelievers and beg them to turn to Christ before it's too late. But never be ashamed of God's victory. Judgment is real for unbelievers, but the victory is real for believers. And as a Christian, we can all take confidence and encouragement from the fact that Jesus will one day be victorious, that he will one day rule this earth, and that the enemy will once and for all be defeated, and Jesus will snatch this world from his possession, and he will reign as king of kings. That victory is assured. It is much as of a fact, as gravity is a fact. It is just as much of truth as two plus two equals four is the truth. Jesus and his victory is reality. It's a future reality, but it is a reality nevertheless. So if you're a Christian, don't let the events of the world scare you. Don't let them strike terror in you. You have the victory. If you're a Christian, don't grow despondent because of the evil in the world. You stay close to God. You stay in his light. And that will chase away the darkness of depression. And remember, you always know for a fact that one day victory is ours. And we can praise God and cheer God for that. So, until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.